So every week, a few of us on the team, we sit around the table and we take a look at the passages of Scripture that we're going to be preaching, and we kind of talk about it, we discuss it, and this series is called Finding Joy. So one of the things that we ask ourselves as we look at the passage is where do we find the joy in this passage that we're going to be going through? And so this week as we're looking through it, you know, a lot of times it's easy to find the joy in Philippians because it says the word rejoice and joy, and it says it a lot all throughout these four chapters. And today we, f- we found the joy, and it's kind of in a unique space. And some of you may see it, and you're like, I don't understand this. But it's the title of today's message, and it's simply this, Finding Joy in the Struggle. Finding Joy in the Struggle. And we're going to be talking about what it looks like to find joy even in the middle of struggles. You might be thinking, like, what are you talking about? Struggling is not joyful. Well, let me tell you a story. You're, I'm going to lose respect from some of you guys, but that's okay because I'm willing to say this story. Two weeks ago, I went to Atlanta, and I went to Atlanta with a purpose. And some of these guys know what the purpose was. The purpose was to go see Taylor Swift. Because sometimes you got to shake it off and shimmer. It's just the way it is. So I went there with my wife and some of our friends, and we went to go see this concert, which it was a lot of fun. But what we saw was a lot of people who went through a lot of struggle to try to look like a person that they will, she will never see them. But they went through all this struggle, and here's the thing they were struggling with the most. A lot of them, you could tell, were wearing heels or shoes that they had not probably previously broken in or worn. And so they're walking around, and there's a lot of standing and walking, and they look like they're walking on hot coals consistently. And they're just, but they still have this big smile and of excitement on their face. So even in the middle of this struggle, they're still finding joy because they're here to see this person that will never, ever, ever pay attention to them. (laughs) And at first, you know, I thought it was really amusing. And one of the best parts of it, my wife and I were just, we were sitting at one point watching everybody walk by and, and it was, it was funny, but then it kind of hit us that we felt kind of sad that people will go through so much struggle and find so much joy in something that honestly is pretty meaningless. At the end of the day, it's something that's going to be here today, gone tomorrow. But as followers of Christ, we have something that we can have a joy in that will never, ever go away, never fade, will always be there for us. And it's a joy that comes from a person that isn't going to just ignore us or see us from stage. He died on our behalf, and his name is Jesus. And he tells us, actually, he talks a lot about struggling and finding joy in the middle of that. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. And we're going to see it in this passage. We're going to see three different things that can help us, even when we're suffering, even when we're going through struggles, ways that Paul is encouraging us to move us towards finding joy in the middle of it. And it's these three things will be kind of our three main points we're going to talk through today. Conducting yourselves as citizens, cooperating with community, and courageously proclaiming the gospel. So we're going to talk about the first one. It starts in verse 27. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I want us to just focus on this word conduct, conduct. Some of you, if you've got certain... um, translations, it uses the word just basically act like citizens. Because if they would have heard this word, the word translated really is talking about citizenship. And he's saying, act like citizens. 
that are worthy of what Jesus has done for you. And to the people in Philippi, this would have rang true to them because something that was peculiar about the Philippians is they were all actually citizens of the Roman Empire. And you may be like, well, so what? There was a big Roman Empire. But not everybody was actually considered a citizen. Only about 15% of people were actually considered citizens, which means they had rights. They had certain rights to vote. They had rights to um, certain legal things. They had rights that others did not have. And because of those rights, they were also expected to live and behave in certain ways. And so Paul is saying, hey, you know what citizenship is like, but I want you to act like you're citizens of a different kingdom, one that's worthy of the good news of what Jesus has done for you. And he's calling them to live differently. And it's, this is so important for us to understand, church, because the same thing that Paul is saying to us is we need to understand this today. We are citizens of a different kingdom, and we need to live that way. You're not called to be the best of being like everybody else in the world. You're not called to just being the best version like everybody else is. You're called to being set apart for a purpose, to look different, to live different, to behave different. So many of us, we find, we're trying to find peace and solace in the kingdoms of this world. I talk to people time and time again that are ultra fixated on political matters. They're ultra fixated on political matters. Our hope, guys, is not in a president or the government. It just isn't. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. I'm just saying that that's not where our hope needs to be found from. Sometimes we put so much energy into those things, we forget who Jesus is. Jesus is the king who reigns on a throne that will never fade or go away. It just, it won't. And it's easy to get caught up in these things, but we have to remind ourselves that we have one true king and his name is Jesus. A lot of times when people will have this discussion with me and basically what it comes down to is they want Jesus to be president. And I have to remind them of something. If Jesus wanted to work through the governmental structures of the world, when he was here on earth, he could have became king. He could have became king. But he, just started, he decided, I'm going to start a revolution to change everything by using common people called the church. That if they live as citizens of a different kingdom, and they love, and they are peaceful, and they share, and they conduct themselves in ways when they disagree and they have disputes, that it still gets settled in peace. That influences and impacts everything. And honestly, when the church grew to a size that the Roman government started getting way more involved, it actually started to hinder what the church was doing. So I'm not saying don't be involved in what's going on or don't be involved in the kingdom of this world. It's just that's got to be secondary. We are Christ followers. And that's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, you need to conduct yourself, which means act as citizens that are, that's worthy of what Jesus is asking us to do. When it comes down to it, he's saying, hey, practice what you preach. And God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows, he knows, you know, you've looked in the mirror, you know you're not perfect. He doesn't expect perfection. What he expects us to do is just, man, am I doing my best to live as a citizen of a different kingdom? If you're not, 1 John 1, 6 says this, says if we claim to have fellowship with him, so that means if we claim to be partners with Jesus, and we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. That's pretty strong language. But what, 
what John wants us to know, what Jesus wants us to know ultimately is, man, if you've been hit by the grace train, you should look different. You know, it's an old statement. It's an old saying. But man, if the, if the grace train hits you, you're going to look different. It, it's kind of a weird thing, but if a train hits you, you're going to look different. <laughs> and some of us think, well, I've, been, I've surrendered and given my life to Jesus, but then we just go doing the same thing. I don't know that the grace train has hit you yet. Because we should look different. We should act different. We should behave differently. Should live as citizens of a, different seat, of a different kingdom. Because then when struggles come, we know, you know what? This is temporary because this is not home. So, we need to live as citizens of a different kingdom. And then the second thing that we need to do is this. We need to live together in coordination. And when I say coordination, I do not mean coordinated like Austin on that video. Like, that's not the type of coordination. We're not talking TikTok dances. Which, by the way, sorry, I said this first service and I have to say it again. I never go on TikTok. But we were, they were, these people were getting ready to go to this concert. And apparently there's all these people that make these dumb dances for Taylor Swift stuff. And so they were showing them to me. And me and my son were scrolling through these. These people cannot dance. And people are giving them hearts and likes. And I'm like, somebody needs to be the realist and tell them this is horrible. And they said, you can't do that. That's bullying. And I'm like, but they look like mannequins in an earthquake. Like, this is not good. I did not say any of those things. That's not the coordination anyway that I'm talking about. Talk about working together as a team. Philippians 1.27, he continues. And he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith and the gospel. Now, this, this Greek word for striving together is son athleo. So everybody say it. Say son athleo. It's a combination of two words. The second part of the word athleo is where we get the term athlete. So he's saying work together like a team of athletes. It's a, it's a, a teamwork that he's calling us to and that he's calling you to. Paul saw church as a team sport, not something to be done individually, but something to be done as a team. We've talked a lot about this in the last couple weeks because it's all throughout the New Testament. That as Christ followers, we're not supposed to be, I said it a couple weeks ago, and some of you guys were grossed out. We're not supposed to be severed big toes out in the parking lot. You thought that was good. Okay, good. But we're all supposed to be part of the body working together in communion and community, making a difference. And Paul knows the power of when we actually get together on the same team, that even when we go through struggles, we have somebody that's there with us to pick us up, to support us, to help us to walk through the things that we're going through. We can't isolate ourselves. When we, when we work as one, as a team, man, we're almost unstoppable. And I, I was writing this and I thought about my son. My son plays soccer. He's played He's 11 years old, and he's played on the same team with the same coach for four years. So the same coach, almost all the same players, for four years, they've been together. And I don't know if you know this, but the longer a team stays together, the more that they know each other, they can support each other, they're there for each other, they know their strengths, their weaknesses, they know all of these things. They know what their coach expects from them. And they play in a rec league, and a lot of the other teams have people come and go, and the coaches change, and all this stuff. But these guys have been on the same team. So this is his last year before we move up here. And this is the most boring year of soccer watching I've ever had in my entire life. 
because his team destroys other teams. And it's not because they're more athletically gifted, it's because they work as one unit. And because they work as one unit, they're not chasing the ball down, they trust each other, they move together. And it's, it's horrible to watch because a couple weeks ago, if you know anything about soccer, if you're up eight to zero before it's halftime, that's not good. The other team is losing a lot. And one of the boys looked at his mom and said, mom, I hate this, I wanna go home. And the coach for our team, he tries so hard. He, he gives them, he's told them before, you have to take the ball all the way back to your goal before you can shoot again. I mean, he gives them extra challenges. But they just, they demolish teams. And it's because they're working as one unit. It's teamwork. And when they start to struggle, they know, hey, I can rely on this person. And what Paul is saying, he goes, I know there's going to be, he's, he's going to talk in a little bit about struggling and suffering, He's like, I want you guys to just be in this strive together, work together as one unit. That's you'll we'll say this is we want you guys to be closer to God, but also to each other. Because as you draw closer to each other, that's when we become a unit that now the enemy is afraid of. Because the enemy's biggest trick is to get us to fight with each other. And especially to fight with our, each other about the kingdom of this world. That's why we had to start by reminding ourselves we are citizens of a different place. Because there's going to become disagreements where we may feel one thing about one person. And the enemy wants us to rile up and fight with each other about stuff. Because a team that's divided is probably not a team that's going to win. So we've got to stay with one common mission, one common goal, one common purpose. And I'm not saying we have to be, when I say unity, that doesn't mean we all believe exactly the same on every single thing. The Bible is rich and deep, and we're going to have different ideals on certain topics. We're going to have different ways that we look at certain things. But we have to get the main things, the main things, and those things have to be common with us. Because we can disagree about the complexities of all of our faith and remain faithful and consistent about the foundations. Jesus is Lord. He lived perfect sinless life, died on the cross for us, was put in a tomb, raised from the dead, and our faith is in that. And we can have new life, forgiveness, and freedom. So if we got that as our base, then we can have all kinds of deep discussions about other things. So when I say unity, I don't mean that we all are brainwashed to exactly the same, except for that one truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord, and he lives. But on the other stuff, that's where we as Christ followers get to prove that we know how to deal with conflict together. We know how to create peace, even in tension. We are different citizens of a different kingdom. So we have conduct. We have community. And then we also are called to be courageous. Verse 28, Paul goes on, he says this, without, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So he's saying that we don't need to be frightened by anything. And when he uses this word, it's actually a word that's talking about, it would, the people would have understood it as horses. So he's saying, you know, how horses sometimes, there's certain horses that they would get on them and go into battle. And right away when they would see opposition, these horses would get skittish. They'd want to turn. They'd want to run. And he was saying, don't be like those horses because when they go into battle, they're worthless. He's saying, if you, you have no reason to be frightened. You have no reason. We are in a battle against an enemy that we don't need to be afraid of. And he's saying, don't be frightened. Your faith produces courage. And no one should be more courageous than us as Christ followers, guys. 
If God is for us, the one who spoke everything into existence, if he's for us, who can be against us? Like we should not be fearful. It doesn't mean that there won't be times when we aren't stressed out, when we aren't worried. We, that's when we have to remind ourselves. Man, I'm a different, I'm, I belong to a different kingdom. I have people around me that remind me I'm there for you. And we can just live and we can be different, but there's a certain type of courage that we need to have. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you. This is weird to hear. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So he's basically saying, This is a gift that I'm that God wants to give you. Not to just to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for Jesus. This is not something that a lot of pastors want to be preaching to people. Like, and some, some of them, I've, I've read in commentaries and looking, they're like, well, this was written to the Philippians, a specific church at a specific time. The problem is Jesus says the exact same things. So we're called not to just believe, but also, you know, there's going to be some struggle and some suffering that goes along with this. He says, since you are going to, Paul tells them, you're going to go through the same struggle you saw I had. And now here that I still have. So he's saying, I'm locked up in prison. I've gotten beaten. Some of you guys are going to go through this, some of the same stuff. Now, we, this is where the difference is. We don't live in a day and age where that's probably going to happen to us. Who knows? It might. Most of us aren't going to be put in jail or beat up for our faith. But we've become kind of addicted to something, especially in our Western culture and society. And it's a simple word, and it's comfort. We love comfort. And I'm not trying to criticize anyone because I like comfort too. Okay, I enjoy air conditioning and, you know, comfy chairs. But the problem is when we seek comfort more than we seek Christ, we've made an idol out of something. And Christ has called us to boldness and to courage and that we are going to have times when we have to suffer. But man, I like being comfortable. I mean, goodness, we love comfort. We complain if we don't get a front row parking space and we're going to the gym, guys. Like, walk an extra 50 feet. But we are just creatures who are just, they, we seek comfort. And I don't even necessarily know that's the worst thing is that we're seeking comfort in the wrong thing. Jesus says, even in the middle, I'm there to comfort you. You don't need to find comfort. That's why that first part is so important. We don't need to find comfort in the things of this world because we belong to something different and better. Our comfort should come from Christ. And that's why we can be courageous because we're with him. So Christianity, guys, is not meant to be a safe, comfortable faith. When we get too comfortable, faith gets boring. Faith gets shallow. That's why a lot of younger people leave because it's like this is I don't, there's no there's no real strong challenge here I don't know I don't understand it because we've made it all about comfort yeah. instead of a challenge like you've got a challenge to live different to act different to share your faith to stand out for something and yeah that's uncomfortable but there's a cause behind it and so I'm going to call us all to like hey Let's, let's, let's not just seek out comfort so much, but let's say, God, what do you want from me? And each one of us, it may be a little bit different because 
Some of you guys, you have no problem telling somebody about Jesus. You have no problem praying for somebody. You have no problem, maybe, maybe you're the person that has no problem opening up their wallet and giving. But each one of us has something that maybe God is trying to nudge us towards. We're like, I don't know about that. That's the thing that you're finding comfort in. That's the thing that Jesus probably wants to just nudge you in a little bit more. Paul knew all of this. Man, he's in prison. And he said, you guys are going to probably suffer like this. And no one wants to suffer like that. But we all know that even now, like you guys all understand, when you struggle through something, you actually get stronger through something. You know, that's why people lift weights. It's because that resistance actually tears the muscle which hurts, but it makes the muscle stronger. You know, that's why people run. Because you might be sucking wind, but eventually you're going to be able to just breathe a little bit better. I had a friend who in his 40s, this is when we lived in right, right around Idaho, he decided to go do the Ironman competition. And I was like, you are dumb. Like, I don't know if you guys know, that's like swimming, bicycling, running. And he'd been training and he's, but I'm like, why would you want to do that? And he's like, I'm looking for a challenge and I don't mind the struggle. And he goes, and what we do he goes, the whole time you're envisioning the finish line and you're seeking the finish line. Christians, most Christians no longer want to get to the finish line because we're comfortable being here. And I want to be here and make a difference here, but this shouldn't be my ultimate comfort. My comfort should be at the finish line. I get to be with Christ. So some of us need to remember we're in a race. We're not supposed to just be sitting still. We're supposed to be moving forward with a purpose. Spending the last few years in Clarksville, I've gotten to know, said Fort Campbell is in Clarksville, so I've gotten to know a lot of soldiers. And I remember when I first moved there, I'm trying to get to understand their vernacular because they talk in little short code language that a lot of times you have no idea what they're talking about. Now I do because you learn all the little acronyms, you learn all the stuff. And we were over at a house with uh, some friends and one of them was a soldier and he he happened to be a fifth group soldier. So the fifth group is like deadly bad guys. Like these guys go through some ridiculous training. Um, I was wondering why certain soldiers got to grow beards and others didn't. Well, these guys got to grow beards because they would go do something that they wouldn't tell us and then they'd come back home and they'd be gone for like three days and then come back. Most soldiers don't do those type of things. So these are like the baddest of the bad dudes. And this guy's name was Eric and he was going to be deployed. Usually... You know, sometimes deployments will be long. Sometimes they're going to be shorter. His, I think, was a six or eight week deployment. So he's going there for a specific purpose. And I remember asking him, like, how are you, how are you feeling about this? Because to me, I'm like, I would not want to go where it's hot, dangerous, dust is in your face. Like, I don't want to do this. That would be horrible. And his immediate response, I'm going to miss my family, but man, I'm excited. Like, you're You're excited? Like, what are you excited about? And he said, I've went through all of this training, all of this preparation. I've learned all of these skills. And if I never got to put those into practice, what's the point of any of it? I was like, ooh, that's a different... I've talked to some of these old, other soldiers. And I said, I've talked to some other soldiers, and they don't talk that way. And he goes, well, those soldiers aren't good soldiers. I was like, oh, and he goes, a lot of soldiers are in it for the title, but they don't actually want the fight. And Christians, I think some of us are that way too. 
We like the title of Christians, but we don't like when the fight comes and we have to actually struggle. Just yesterday, my daughter, she's graduating high school next week, and we had a graduation party, which for an introverted person, having 50 people in your house, not fun. <laughs> but one of the guys there is a, he's a young man that I've, you know, mentored and loved and cared for, and he's a soldier. And just on Thursday, he did an 18-mile ruck, which means you get a big pack and it weighs between 20 and 40 pounds. He said his was 35. And 18 miles of carrying this ruck, and they've got to get under a certain time that they have to finish it in. And I said, well, that's horrible. I'm like, you must have, and I told him, you must have a, a bad drill sergeant. Like, what's the, he goes, oh, no, no, no. We volunteered to do this. And I said, you are dumb. <laughs> I go, and he was telling me, like, when he came home, the compression on his shoulders, and he's 26, I think. And I was like, why would you choose to do this? And he said a lot of the same stuff. Man, there's joy in this struggle. There's joy when I get to be with my, my, my brothers together and we finish this thing. And I said, you sound crazy. I said, I've talked, and I said the same thing. I've talked to soldiers that do not talk like that. And he said the exact same thing back. Not every soldier is a good soldier. Guys, I want to be a place that's full of good soldiers that are like, we'll do whatever it takes to make a difference. We'll do whatever it takes to advance the mission of Jesus. No, if that means stepping out of an initial comfort zone of just going and knocking on my neighbor's door and saying, hey, I've got some cookies for you. And maybe your comfort is you just need to start building relationships with people. Maybe your comfort is today, is the day that you go all in with Jesus and you go a little bit uncomfortable because you need to get baptized. Baptism is the thing that is... It's the outward profession of faith. And here's the cool thing about baptism. Baptism is something that is an individual act, but you can't do it by yourself. You can't. You need a dunker. You need someone that's going to dunk you in the water. I mean, I guess you could just go dip yourself, but scripturally, it's something that's an individual act, but it's done in community. Because like I said, there's, there's a partnership that happens there. So all of these things are ways that we can find joy even in the middle of our struggle. We have to remember we're citizens of a different kingdom. We have to conduct ourselves differently. We have to remember that, hey, we, we get to do this together. So we're, we're going to coordinate in community. And then we have to remind ourselves, I can be courageous because I have Christ on my side. I don't need to find comfort in just the things of this world. Because when we stop fighting, we start getting bored and we start looking for different challenges. It's like my son's soccer team. They're now, it, like, I had to yell at my son for doing this. But a couple weeks ago, they were up 13 to 0, second half. And they're trying to not score almost. And he yells, you guys are horrible. We're bored. And I was like, I yelled, I said, Elijah, stop it right now. But the thing is, when we don't actually strive or struggle in any way in our faith, we start saying those same things. This is boring. Why should I come to church? Why should I get involved? Why should I give? And man, Christ has so much more than that for us, but it means we have to sometimes step out of our comfort zone and in to what God wants us to do. Otherwise, you know what? We'll just be lackadaisical in our faith. And I don't want you guys to be lackadaisical in your faith. I, I've, I've done church leadership and ministry for a long time, and I have asked this time and time again. Are you a cruise ship or a battleship? 
Because a cruise ship, you feel comforted, you eat well, you have some fun, but then when you go off, you go off and you just do your own thing. And a lot of churches, that's how sometimes we behave. We come, we sit, we get fed, we enjoy each other's company, and I want all of those things for us. But then it just doesn't make any really big impact or difference in our lives. A battleship, though, everybody comes with a purpose. They still get fed. They still get cared for, but they're on a mission to accomplish something bigger than themselves, to do something significant. And guys, I don't want to captain a cruise ship. And I don't believe you want to be a part of just a cruise ship either. We have a mission. We have a mission. We want people to meet, know, follow Jesus. We want to be closer to him and closer to each other. And it takes not just me, it takes you. And while I want people when they come here the first time to feel comforted, I don't want them to stay there. Jesus was amazing. He took broken people and he made them feel comforted and loved, but then he called them to a purpose bigger than themselves. And that's what I want for us. When people come here, they feel comforted and loved, but then they feel nudged to do something significant. So today, if you're getting baptized today, some of you guys have already signed up. Some of you guys are feeling a stirring right now. If you've already signed up or you're feeling a stirring, I want you guys to head out right now. And here's why. Because we want to go out there afterwards and I don't want you guys to just bolt and leave. A teammate is making a significant step and we're going to celebrate. But I believe each one of us has something we need to step out of our comfort zone and do. Some of you guys, you need to serve, honestly. And that's why, man, I invite you, be here at team night tonight, uh, on Thursday night. Thursday night. If you've never served, be here on Thursday night and hear the heart behind this. And some of you guys are like, that's uncomfortable because I don't have a whole lot of time. This is not to make you feel bad. I know certain people that serve at this church that I guarantee you have way less time than you do and they still serve consistently. We can all, we can all do a part. We can all play our part. It might be a little uncomfortable. We won't abuse, overuse but we want you guys to understand, hey, I'm a part of the battleship and we've got a, I've got a part to play. And it's not just to sit in a chair. It's to conduct myself in a way worthy of the gospel. It's to be like a citizen. And it's to be courageously advancing and moving forward. Those are the three things we see in that passage. And that's the three things I want for myself, that I want for you guys, that I want for this church. Let's pray.